Irish fans, hello, and we are rolling. Welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Painter. It has been quite a whirlwind the past 10 days since the recording of the last episode. Notre Dame 2020 football schedule, as well as fall sports in general, remain in jeopardy due to a recent dramatic spike in cases of COVID-19. It can't help but feel like as though we have kicked the hornet's nest here on this. So a schedule that featured 12 contests at the beginning of July has quickly dropped to nine games, as the Big Ten and Pac-12 have opted to play only in-conference games for the season. Thus, our early October game against Wisconsin, our October 10th game against Stanford, and the final game of the season, a November 28th game against hated rival USC, have all been canceled. At the time of this recording, it is unknown what, if any, contests will be dropped or added moving forward. Very uncertain times indeed. In a late June update video, I applauded the Notre Dame football program. After nearly 150 COVID-19 tests were administered, only one came back positive. Yes, a positive case is a big deal, but let's compare how we did with at least one of the college football powerhouses. So a few weeks ago, Clemson already had 40 positive tests, and that's a team that the Irish are to host on November 7th. So on July 7th, all 103 Irish players were tested, and there were no positive tests. All tested negative. But despite that, despite Notre Dame's performance on this front, uh, because whatever they're doing is clearly working. Whatever directives they have as a team are clearly working, and the players are clearly being extremely compliant to whatever protocol the team has. I know that they've been sequestered into a hotel, um, and it's a shame because it doesn't seem as though the rest of college football or, to be honest, society has really followed the Notre Dame football program and the rest of the athletics lead. But as I, uh, optimism's waning at this point. So Jack Swarbrick, according to a July 15th article from the Wall Street Journal, said the following about the fall season, quote, with each day where the country doesn't get a better handle on the pandemic, the risk to the fall season grows. And the only two options are no season or to explore the spring, said Swarbrick. We're mid-July and the trends are the wrong way end quote. Now, this is an incredibly fluid situation and one that seemed to change every single day. So admittedly, despite being a naturally optimistic person, I hope anyway, I have receded into the mindset of preparing myself for the absolute worst when it comes to sports for the remainder of 2020. That way I can hopefully just be pleasantly surprised if we have any of these things going on. Though not to the same scale as far as interest and who could forget revenue, the Ivy League has suspended all fall sports for 2020. Though admittedly, yes, that is a bit different because though they are Division I athletic programs, the student-athletes are not on athletic scholarship, though probably some merit-based scholarship uh, that's, again, based on their high school academic performance and not otherwise tied directly to athletics. On July 16th, FCS Conference, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, or the MEAC, announced they were going to close down shop 
for all fall sports, including football. The conference is stocked with HBCUs, or historically black colleges and universities, including Howard University and Coppin State. Speaking of HBCUs, Division II, Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, a fellow HBCU, announced also that they would not play fall sports, citing both safety and the inability to afford the costs associated with administering the COVID-19 test to all their athletes. On yet another level, Division III Oberlin College in kind of the greater Cleveland, Ohio area, also announced that they would suspend fall sports, uh, citing safety. It's possible across all divisions, Division I, Division II NAIA, Division III, that these schools who have decided to cancel sports for the fall ultimately actually may become the rule, not the exception. And that's obviously a huge bummer, but I can understand why the decisions are being made proactively. Notre Dame has a bit of a financial runway, as we are all obviously, obviously aware, and can afford to adopt a wait-and-see approach. Also, not formally belonging to a football conference helps as well in some regard. And it also hurts in some regard as well, as we've seen our, our, football play, our football team being dropped off schedules because we don't belong to a specific conference. But another interesting factor is the local economy. The mayor of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, said earlier this month that a season without Alabama Crimson Tide football would mean an excess of $200 million out of their local community just for the fall. That is incredible. And when you really look at it, Tuscaloosa and South Bend are nearly the exact same size, about a hundred or so thousand people. Though the median income for a family in Tuscaloosa is approximately 41,000, and in South Bend it's just a tick lower than that, uh, these two cities are incredibly comparable. And it can be reasonably deduced that this is playing a significant factor in Notre Dame's decision-making as well, calls from the local community leaders. So as mentioned before, this is an incredibly fluid situation where the moods, at least those publicly expressed, are changing daily, whichever way the wind seems to be blowing. While this is hugely important to millions of people, including all of us here, the COVID-19 situation is not really one of what I wanted to dig into today, despite talking about it here for nearly the last seven minutes. Uh, that'll be something that we continue to talk about until it is decided, till it has been fully addressed for fall sports, at least as it pertains to Notre Dame. What I want to talk about is the Fighting Irish as a nickname, mascot, and logo for the Notre Dame community, both athletic and otherwise. If you're on Facebook or you watch certain news channels or you follow certain sports blogs or apps, whatever have you, you may already be picking up what I'm putting down here. On July 6th, Daniel Morrison, a staff writer for Slap the Sign, a Notre Dame football website which is sponsored by Fansided, released an opinion piece titled, quote, Is it time to reconsider Notre Dame's Fighting Irish nickname? End quote. So in the piece, he details the recent call for the Washington football team to change their team name and makes a call for Notre Dame to do the same. Though he says to keep the Irish portion, just drop the fighting part as to not reinforce an old stereotype of a the violent, drunken, irascible Irish. And with that, 
at least in my social media purviews anyways, it all of a sudden very quickly became suddenly calls for Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, to ditch their nickname. And a lot of people were very upset about it. And the word calls was pluralized, though it seemed that Morrison was really the only one who had written about it. But either way, no fewer than three providers of Notre Dame news and one major news outlet began running sponsored ads on my Facebook feed promoting the story. Which I guess I guess Facebook knows about as well as anyone what you click on or what you're interested in because it was very obvious that this was being curated directly to me. And so undoubtedly, if it was the case for me, it was probably the case for a lot of you. And given the current climate, particularly the social climate in this country, it more than seemed that the story had been relegated to clickbait or merely a six or seven word headline to elicit a strong emotion, possibly to get more follows, comments, likes, interactions, whatever have you. So first, I recommend anyone who feels strongly about this topic to read the original article. It is very short, actually, fewer than 800 words. So if one reads at the average rate of an American, you should probably have it done between three and let's say five minutes. Now, I'm an incredibly verbose person and I love to write. And it is possible that this was a very succinct piece intentionally, given the amount of clicks it could potentially garner. The more pessimistic side of my brain, though, might have thought, at least for an instant, that it's short because a more compelling argument couldn't be conjured up. Uh, I suppressed that because I do respect Morrison as a professional, uh, not in the least because he surely knew that he would catch a lot of grief and a lot of vitriol over this article. And I say read it because there are absolutely some things in the article that I agree with. In fact, there are some things in the article that really can't be disputed, which I will bring up. So anyways, for, for what it's worth, I can't say that I was upset about the call for a name change. I simply just don't get fired up about those kinds of things. And I will give you another very personal example here soon. But what I was upset about was perhaps a different reason than some of you, uh, but a reason that I thought was of crucial importance nonetheless. So as a bit of a disclaimer, I don't claim to be a psychologist or a sociologist, and these opinions are truly my own, and though I do try to back and ground them and inform them with as much fact as I can. So if you disagree with any of them, we can absolutely discuss it. I hope I like to pride myself on being able to have that civil discussion, which sometimes can be absent. But if you disagree with anything that I talk about today, uh, I, I would love to have an open dialogue. So just to give a little bit more context, as far as folks feeling that team names and mascots are harmless, I am actually not of that mind. I am not of the mind that mascots and team names are harmless. And I am concerned with social justice as it pertains particularly to marginalized groups. So in addition to that, I'm also very much in favor of common sense and thoughtfulness. And if you've been around the block with me a few times on the show, I hope you know this. And if you are new, I hope you get this sense here soon. However, being concerned with social justice and also, again, 
cross-referencing that with common sense and thoughtfulness, there is a there is a wide plane that you can absolutely do that, and those two ideas can coexist. So my goal is to not nullify Morrison's opinion. He's entitled to his, just as I'm entitled to mine and you're entitled to yours. But however merely, I would just like to offer mine as it happens to run counter to his. So let's begin. The phrase or idea of cancel culture is one that seemingly is popping up frequently these days. And the whole thing is relatively new, coming to light in recent years as a call to cancel celebrities such as Roseanne Barr, Louis C.K., Bill Cosby, who have either acted, spoken, or both in a controversial manner. There are many more that I don't think we need to rehash here. So some people or things find themselves in the crosshairs of the cancel culture for incredibly merited or long overdue reasons. I'm sure if we thought about it, we could all think of those things or people. But for others, it feels somewhat incidental. The calls for the Native American mascots, to me anyways, fall into the former category. Long overdue. Morrison's call for the fighting to be taken from the fighting Irish falls into the latter, incredibly secondary. So the first issue, and perhaps the largest one for me, is the timing of this particular scenario. The Morrison article was hopelessly and even feels shamelessly piggybacked to the Native American mascot issue and the Native American name issue or whatever have you. And on one hand, yes, they are connected because they both deal in mascots, logos, team names, whatever have you. But they are not connected. Not one bit. One is serving, hopefully, a social good. The other is not, in my opinion. And in fact, to me, one inadvertently, perhaps, almost serves to invalidate the other. Why is this? Well, the American Indians, Native Americans, or the Indigenous Americans, all of which are appropriate, were and still are to this day an incredibly marginalized group in this country. There is really no sense in debating this, I think, at this point. This is a culture and was a culture and people that survived centuries worth of attempts to wipe them off the map of the United States. Again, another point that is indisputable. Today, there are tons of barriers that further stunt the growth and development of Native Americans. And some might disagree with that, but I would, again, encourage folks to do just a bit of digging. You can find, you can find what these are very easily. Jeff Harrell, who wrote the Notre Dame book, Rockney of Ages, and is himself a proud Native American, has expressed to me that the culture of the Native American is in serious danger of going completely extinct in just a few decades. But with respect to the fact that this is a Notre Dame football podcast and we are talking about the Fighting Irish moniker, I will stray off of that larger point. But there, are, again, are tons of things to read to further underscore this view. Let's stick to the mascots and the logos and the team names. As a quick history... Native American groups and people have been protesting Native American mascots such as the Boston Braves and Cleveland Indians of Major League Baseball and the Washington football team of the National Football League since the National Congress of American Indians was formed in the early to mid-1940s. So this in itself has been a struggle 
for nearly a century. So yes, while social conscientiousness is running high in the current climate, this is not a new thing with the Native American sports teams. And yes, while some individuals have gone on record saying that the names and logos honor their culture or heritage, in early 2020, the University of Michigan and California conducted a joint study, the most recent and comprehensive study on the subject, and found that among Native Americans who frequently engage in tribal or cultural practices, that 67% of them find the Washington football team name offensive and 70% find sports fans wearing chief headdresses offensive, 73% find sports fans imitating Native American dances offensive, 65% find sports fans chanting the tomahawk chop offensive. So I know there have been previous studies about this and people's feelings about, particularly Native Americans' feelings about this, but obviously the sentiment has changed here of late. And, of course, one would be remiss not to point out that Florida State works closely side-by-side side with the Seminole Tribe of Florida, with tribal liaisons serving on committees. And at the University of Utah, the Utes, they have a clear-cut memorandum of understanding with the local Ute tribe. Because some people would be very quick to point out that, you know, why are some teams exempt from criticism, or at least they're not being criticized as heavily, and others are. And I do think it is a sign of effort on the part of some of these teams or college football pro or college sports programs, pardon me, while that has lacked with other teams and other programs. I can't go into every single instance, but those were the couple that I was able to find that seemed like it was at least somewhat of a goodwill partnership. So to me, again, this is an actual issue. Native Americans have been marginalized. And when I use the word marginalized in this instance, I'm kind of taking it the, uh, the classic definition of a group treated as insignificant or peripheral. And so they have been marginalized for centuries and still are to this day. Psychologists have been warning us for years that mental and emotional damage that this imagery can do and have caused to Native Americans. And this is why the team names and mascots are an issue because, again, these are issues that folks are still confronting to this day. So, this is why the idea of piggybacking the fighting Irish to the Native American mascots feels so incredibly ham-fisted. Frankly, it was bound to happen that people were going to naturally conflate these two ideas, which I think will cause additional embitterment to an actual marginalized group and will unfortunately... Whether Morrison intended to it or not, based on the knee-jerk reaction of folks, I think given the timing again, it actually serves to harm or delegitimize efforts of a lot of people over the last century with respect to the Native American mascots. So again, I just feel as though the timing was... Eh, just It didn't sit well with me. So like Morrison, I also grew up Catholic, and I still identify as Catholic, and truthfully, that is a drawing point for me to this day of the Notre Dame, uh, of Notre Dame in general, and the Notre Dame football team. So also, like Morrison, some of my forebears are Irish, hailing from County Cork. And like many white Americans, my family's ancestry is a smattering of European countries, including Germany, England, Ireland, and Scotland. 
So despite having some Irish in my blood, I don't really believe in this case it honestly gives me any more sway than the next person. This is just merely my opinion. But the Irish immigrant's journey to and through American history does not mirror that of the Native American. The Irish were able to successfully assimilate to American culture, even becoming a cornerstone of it. Today, 33 million Americans identify as Irish or having Irish forebears. So there was certainly prejudice against the Irish immigrant. Now, uh, that I can agree with Morrison on. And frankly, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who could muster a compelling counter-argument to that. And that's because of the nativist movement. We talked about it last episode, but that really began in the 1830s when immigration to the United States began to uptick considerably, which was a belief that held patriotism to the highest ideal. And viewed people of certain religions or nationalities as unable to become true Americans. And this is truthfully one that describes the experience of nearly all immigrant groups, particularly around this time in American history, not just the Irish. If you want to see a Hollywood version of this, I would recommend you go check out Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. Uh, it's really long, but you can go wrong with actor Daniel Day-Lewis. Just as a quick note, the movie isn't 100% historically accurate in a number of ways. However, it does actually relate pretty effectively the you know the mid 19th century as uh, immigrants in America in New York City in the big city. But it also, as I mentioned, that nativist movement is you get a very strong sense of what that was in America. So, but as I mentioned, Morrison begins his article with a summary of happenings with the Washington football team. So, again, whether intentional or not, he is conflating the two ideas through reference and timing, and this is what I fervently disagree with. But now let's talk about the Fighting Irish as a nickname and, of course, logo. Fact is, we will never know the actual origins of the nickname. In fact, the Notre Dame website sticks to the claim writing that exactly where and how Notre Dame's athletic nickname, the Fighting Irish, came to origination never has been perfectly explained. Their words. So what do we know? Well, we know the team became officially known as the Fighting Irish in 1927. They had been unofficially called the Fighting Irish for a number of years, as well as other team names such as the Rovers or the Ramblers, the Terriers or the Catholics. So, but when it comes to the Fighting Irish, lest we forget the intimate connection that Notre Dame had with a very famous group of Fighting Irish. Father William Corby was chaplain for the famed Irish Brigade of the Union Army of the Potomac. Corby was a Notre Dame graduate, was actually priest of a local South Bend parish, and had served on Notre Dame's faculty before taking the appointment in the chaplain corps during the American Civil War. So I did a whole episode about his Civil War experience earlier this year, and I think maybe even for this very reason, when it comes to the original Fighting Irish, it remains incredibly popular. So go check it out if you'd like. Anyway, undoubtedly, if any group of Irish suffered from a negative Irish, Irish stereotype, it was these men and boys. With Corby alongside the brigade, the Irish brigade literally fought their way to respect serving in nearly every major battle and campaign in the Eastern Theater. Man, just for some context, the brigade lost 4,000 men during the war, which was higher, more men, than the unit actually had at any one given time. So, in other words, that's over a 100% casualty rate from their initial strength. 
However, 11 members of the, of the brigade received a Congressional Medal of Honor. And though some may dismiss the Corby connection to the Fighting Irish nickname as revisionist history, don't forget just how famous he became. He later wrote one of the most famous recollections of the Civil War, titled Memoirs of Chaplain Life, Three Years in the Irish Brigade with the Army of the Potomac. So it was published in 1893. So, but by this time, Corby had already served two non-consecutive terms as university president. Given the team's nickname, Corby being inexorably connected with both Notre Dame and the crew originally called the Fighting Irish, the Fighting Irish Brigade, is more than likely no accident. And Notre Dame was always predominantly Irish, of course, as we know. Even in the early 2000s, over 60% of respondents to a survey could find Irish ancestry in their family trees. And talk about interesting timing, as we discussed last episode, in 1924, when anti-Catholic sentiment was running high due to the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, a racist, nativist group that everyone's familiar with. A few hundred Notre Dame students literally clashed with the Klansmen in the streets of South Bend. Now, Coach Lou Holtz said recently, former Irish coach Lou Holtz, I'll give him the, bat, the, the bit of an introduction there, said that this event is what led to the nickname, the Fighting Irish. Though I am finding myself more and more as I grow older disagreeing with Holtz on a number of things he says, including likening the college football season in Normandy, he's not incorrect that it certainly could have played a role because it was covered in ma many major, the episode was, the incident was, I should say, in many major cities' newspapers. And a lot of people were looking at Indiana at that time as a cautionary tale to what happens when the Ku Klux Klan absolutely takes over the entire state, which was what was happening. And only when they reached South Bend did they, in did they encounter resistance. And it was resistance from Notre Dame students. And it was a physical resistance. Again, go listen to the episode. They literally went fisticuffs. So this is an incredibly interesting event in school history regardless. But one could certainly say, as the Notre Dame Football Review stated countless times in the 1920s, that the moniker is to reflect the Irish immigrant and the football squad's tenacity, particularly when facing superior or favored foes on the gridiron or going against schools that were much larger than Notre Dame. Now, the logo itself is a supernatural character of Irish folklore. I understand that some may point out problematic uses for the leprechaun of, across history, but I would also argue that when it comes down to it, yes, the it is a leprechaun, and yes, the leprechaun has his fists up, uh, but this is far from a racial caricature, which serves to debase an actual group of people. Also in the same vein as the Seminoles and Utes, Notre Dame has tried to solidify a formal tie with Ireland, including, as we know, playing games in Dublin. And this also includes a formal study abroad program at the Kyle Moore Abbey in Dublin. And since 1998, 2,000 students have actually studied there. And when it comes to the fighting Irish, and though I know that Morrison's critique was that it is offensive to the, or distasteful to Irish immigrants, the president of Ireland in 2006 actually spoke at Notre Dame's commencement. Her name is Mary McAleese. So she said, quote, The language you use here, the fighting Irish, what we mean mostly when we talk about it is an indomitable spirit, a commitment, never tentative, always fully committed to life itself, 
That's the spirit of the fighting Irish. End quote. So <clears throat> I needed a bit more perspective. So I reached out to a man who has spent his life as both an incredibly proud Irish American and also one who is concerned with social justice and equity, particularly as it pertains to Native Americans. But Tom Keefe, a former attorney based in Spokane, Washington. So he actually represented Native American David So Happy in a landmark 1983 case involving treaty rights. It's a fascinating case, so look it up if you are interested. But I should probably mention, again, his Irish affinity is so fervent that he spends much of his time, particularly around March, as a St. Patrick impersonator. So when I asked, he relayed to me that he felt the mascot and moniker was both defensible and explainable. And he said, and only speaking for himself, that he would always rather fight than run. Though I don't think he would actually mean fight, fight, but like as far as not backing down and against showing that tenacity. So I myself am a fan of the Cleveland Indians baseball team, okay? And this is no mere casual fandom either. Uh, if you know me, you know that I've researched the team history and players forwards, backwards, upside down. You get it. I've spent countless hours of my life watching and listening to this team as well. So for my family, uh, again, I come from a big, big family. We take this team very seriously. But however, and only speaking for myself here, I not only understood the call to retire longtime logo Chief Wahoo, I actually, for the reasons that I have detailed in this episode, I found myself in favor of it when it was happening in 2017 officially, though there had been uh, plans for most of the previous decade to that, to, to ultimately retire Chief Wahoo. Um, and at this point, the same can be said for the team name. There are some representations of Native Americans in sports, which we discussed at least a couple, and ones that I believe at least make an attempt to do more good than harm. Uh, but at the end of the day, I simply can't say the same for my favorite baseball team across their history. So this is an issue that has hit home multiple times now for me personally in the last couple weeks. And the Indians themselves have, again, discuss, are discussing currently changing their team name here in the next couple years. So I guess in summation... I don't think fighting Irish should be changed, mostly because I don't even think it is offensive, and I am typically someone who is sensitive to these things, and I only bring up in you know kind of a long-winded fashion the Native American issue because I want you to know that I am, I am capable of seeing where these things can be harmful. I truly am. As I mentioned, I am sensitive to these kinds of things. As perhaps some of us can attest, and certainly my buddy Tom Keefe mentioned in our conversation as well, uh, though the claim can be made that the fighting part of the fighting Irish is an outdated stereotype, should we perhaps acknowledge that it is at least somewhat fueled by modern behaviors, such as the celebration of St. Patrick's Day? Not the celebration itself, but how people celebrate St. Patrick's Day? I would argue that the antics of many during that holiday serves to do more damage to the Irish legacy, which Tom even said he tries to correct through education and impersonation 
of St. Patrick. So again, is the Fighting Irish offensive? I think not. An award-winning artist, Revere Lanoue, who I can only hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, who is a Notre Dame graduate. He played lacrosse at Notre Dame, so he's actually a former student athlete as well. Did an amazing painting called The Original Fighting Irish. And if you just look up The Original Fighting Irish uh, and Revere Lanoue, so last name is L-A space N-O-U-E, and of course that's Revere as in Paul Revere, you'll be able to find it really quickly. But I loved the placard explanation of what Fighting Irish actually meant to him. So Revere says, quote, to me, fighting Irish is an ethic more than an ethnicity. Survivors of the potato famine, the fighting Irish brigade of the American Civil War, immigrant railroad crews, priests and soldiers, farmers and builders. This print tells the story of millions of people who embody the name fighting Irish. I wanted to make a print that honored the hardworking generations of men and women that fought for the privileges I have today, end quote. So this, as I mentioned at the, the top of the episode, this one is a bit different. Honestly, I know many of you come here because you want to learn more about Notre Dame, the, the current Notre Dame program, or the history of Notre Dame, the school, or the history of the Notre Dame program, or any one of the fascinating people who have been associated with it throughout the over 175 years of the school. And we are at about, what, 143 years, I think, for football. Uh, but I do appreciate you indulging me with the past 35 minutes or so. While it truly isn't my intention to do social commentary, because oftentimes that can get you in some trouble and can honestly bring more of a headache than good sometimes, depending on your views and depending on the situation all that. But I kind of felt uh, the need to, I guess to use a trite and cliche phrase, speak my truth on this and also hopefully at least ground this debate into what I think it is, but also what I think it isn't, which you could probably pick up on is what I feel very strongly about. But thank you again. I hope you enjoyed that. And we will be right back for show wrap-up right after this. All right, let's finish out strong with some thank yous. First of all, thank you to you. If you've made it this far in this episode, I appreciate you big time, and I really hope you enjoyed it. So thank you to you, the listener. I know a lot of you have been around for a long time, over a year now, and please know that I'm eternally grateful for your company, and I know that others of you may have just discovered the show. Uh, of course, I am incredibly grateful for your company as well. I'd encourage everyone to go back and listen to any of the old episodes as they might uh, pique your interest. So next to the show's consensus, all Americans, a super special sect of show listeners who keep the lights on, who keep the show ad-free, and support the efforts monetarily. And as I mentioned, keep it 100% advertisement-free for all of us to enjoy and really allows the show to continue to push the envelope even further. So first up is my buddy Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana. Brad and I are virtually neighbors here, <laughs> but sincerely, Brad's been supporting the show for several months now, 
And man, I can't I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, Brad. So thank you very much. Second up is Michael Fine of Rutherford, New Jersey who has been listening to the show, I believe, since November, but has been supporting the show like Brad for several months, too. And my goodness, I can't thank you enough either, Michael. And just to let you know, we're always thinking about you. I know that your part of the country has been hit a lot harder by the pandemic than than my part or our part of the country here in Indiana. But again, please know that we're always thinking about you, pal, and we're hoping always every day, single day, for the very, very best. So thanks, Brad. Thank you, Michael. Again, two longtime supporters as well as contributors to the show. And can't thank you both enough. And then the final two, consensus all Americans are in fact brothers of mine. So I mentioned I come from a large Catholic family. I actually have six brothers and approximately one third of them do support the show, though I do think all of them listen in. But my brother Adam, Adam Painter from Fort Wayne, Indiana, has uh, stepped forward and he is also sponsoring episodes for you all to make sure it stays advertisement free. So thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. And what I'll say is I guess if your family members support you in this regard, I guess, you know, you're, I suppose, doing something right. So, man, I I appreciate it. And the newest Onward to Victory Consensus All-American is Colton, my brother, Colton Painter out of Cleveland, Ohio. So, man, thank you guys so very much. Your support's super graciously appreciated, and you, I hope you all know that, but... All right, as a reminder, any of the funds directed to the show through the Consensus All-American program 100% go back into the show. So how do you become a Consensus All-American? Man, that's a great question. If you'd like to name yourself to the list, become a loyal son, so to speak, like Brad, Michael, Adam, or Colton, you can do so very simply. Oh, and if you're, or you'd like to become a loyal daughter, hate to, don't want to make this gender exclusive here. But uh, again, you can do so very simply. A $15 donation to the show will sponsor multiple episodes and get your name called out as a consensus All-American over the air. You can donate at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation, or if you want to donate a certain amount per month, visit patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. Please note that any support is so greatly appreciated. All of it goes back into the show. And if you donate now, if you become a Consensus All-American now, uh, I will make sure you get the latest in show merchandise, which right now includes uh, a couple, uh, you'll get a couple can koozies, keep your beverages nice and cold this fall, and also some world-famous Corby coasters that uh, the aforementioned Father William Corby. Go to the Facebook page, which I'll give you the address here soon to check out the wares, but please note that if you donate to the show, I will make sure that I send you these directly to your home. Uh, so again, that is, uh, that is just one of the perks right now, aside from just being cool and supporting the show of being a consensus All-American. And if you dig the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, it's that purple icon. If you don't have an iPhone, you have Spotify. We're on Spotify as well, as well as the Podbean app or at onwardtovictory.podbean.com. So please like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do to make sure you're getting all the new episodes. Please interact with the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onwardtovictory. Like and follow the page for all the most recent updates. We have tons of new members on Facebook, so welcome to all of you. Please, if you want to sound off and you have something to say and you want me to read it on an episode, feel free to write the Facebook page uh, on the Facebook Messenger or you can drop the show a good old-fashioned email at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. If you send it to me, I promise you I'll read it on an episode. 
Finally, thank you to Joseph Rakish, as always, who allows the show to use his song, Knut Rockney, as the theme. If this is your first episode and you're like, man, what was that song that was playing at the beginning uh, to, to kind of run the show in? That is Knut Rockney by Joseph Rakish. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Put it on your workout playlist. Put it on your pregame hype playlist. Do whatever you got to do again, but go give it a spin. Support Joseph. He was one of the first people I reached out to when I decided to do this show because uh, I realized, man, if I'm going to do something like this, I need a snappy theme. And I had been listening to Knut Rockney for a number of years and just doing some digging on Joseph, I found out that he actually went to college not too terribly far from where I live. And I was like, oh, maybe the, if I say where I'm from, he'll maybe he'll be more apt to reply. But so anyways, he's, he very, very kindly obliged, let, let me use the song. And I, I will always uh, appreciate that. So go support him. And he's got tons of other music, multiple albums, uh, good stuff to listen to pretty much whenever. So I got two bits little bits here that uh, we'll, then we'll wrap the show up. So Gage Pewterball, local kicker and punter who's being formally recruited by the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, is actually, we are trying to sync up our schedules. Uh, he, I know he's having a busy summer. He's trying to prepare for his senior year of football. Um, and then me, I'm like, I'm just trying to sync up my schedule the best I can to work with him. So we haven't been able to link up yet, but that will be coming in a future episode. I promise you that. And another bit, this is episode 27 in show history. So somehow, someway, last episode 26, I dubbed the Kyle Brinza episode, who wore number 27 for the Irish. I don't know how I did that, because as many of you know, I will traditionally assign a Notre Dame football player to represent, so to speak, the episode who wore that number, whatever episode number it is. So somehow, I don't understand how, I think I was looking for 26, and then I just stumbled upon Brinza at 27, and then all of a sudden I was writing the show's script out, and I just ran with it, and it just didn't even occur to me. So we'll keep it, uh, even though he didn't wear number 26. Episode 26, last episode, will remain Kyle Brinza, who actually wore 27, just because I always like Brinza. But however, this is episode 27, so let's give this one to Julian Love, who wore number 27 for the Irish from 2016 to 2018, five career interceptions, uh, including two returned for touchdowns. So this, henceforward, 27, episode 27, will be the Julian Love episode, um, who now plays for the New York Giants. So he's a he had a pretty good rookie season by all accounts. He intercepted a pass, and I think he had about 60 tackles, if memory serves. Well, that'll about do it for this episode. So I really appreciate your time. And I'm going to sign off. So this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish. Irish.